I'm available for being loved unconditionally and I'm worthy of being loved unconditionally. When you're loved unconditionally like that, fear drops away. These possibilities just open up. I was like, if I can love like this and be loved like this, then what's possible? This isn't a journey to happiness because I'm not happy all the time. This is a journey to meaning. Hi, it's Nicole Sharonum on the Connectedly podcast. We have such a great show today with Dr. Rebecca Ray. She's sharing her thoughts on happiness and connection and gives us some advice on dealing with change and grief and setting boundaries. She's going to share so much wisdom. I think you're going to love it. But before we do, I wanted to let you know that we are having so much fun in the Happiness Club. We are supporting each other, networking, sharing our breakthroughs and our wins and just connecting as women on our journey to more happiness and freedom. So if you'd love to join us, then please do so. The doors are still open. The link will be in the show notes. So as I said, I'm, I'm so happy to have Dr. Rebecca Ray with us. She's a clinical psychologist, author, and speaker who helps big picture thinking people master their psychology. And over the course of two decades of consultations and speaking events and books, and let's not mention the Today Show, she has encouraged thousands of humans making an impact on the world to live a life that's fulfilling, unapologetic, and free. As one of Australia's most in-demand and authoritative voices in the personal development space, it's such a pleasure to have her on the show today. Dr. Rebecca Ray is the author of six books, including Be Happy, The Art of Self-Kindness, and her most recent book, Difficult People. She lives in the soul-fed hills of Sunshine Coast in sunny Queensland. And without further ado, please welcome Dr. Rebecca Ray. Hi, Dr. Rebecca Ray, or we'll call you Beck, uh, which is a little bit more friendly, I think, isn't it? It feels more casual. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you, first of all, because you are absolutely amazing and you do so much for women around the world, I should say, especially Australia. You are all over the Today Show. You are on people's podcasts. You're writing books. You know, you really are sharing your wisdom. And I think more than just your wisdom, the thing that I'm in awe of is that you are sharing your heart and you're so relatable. You oh, know, you. something you always say, which which is the reason I wanted to to talk with you is, is you say, but human first. Yeah. And we're all so much in this life, you know, we're, we're mothers and we're clinical psychologists for some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can be quite intimidating for some people. Yeah. But you aren't that. You are human first. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart just for being so raw and vulnerable with all of us. Oh, my pleasure. I can't be any other way. It's It doesn't feel real for me if I have to show up as something that I'm not today. So I tend to show up as I am on the day and that's always as human first because I'm just making it up as I go along, honestly. Like I don't have all the answers and I think that's true for all of us. Absolutely. So true. And, you know, if we did have all the answers, I think life would be pretty boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about and I I will get to what you're most passionate about shortly. Mm -hmm. But first of all, I really want to talk about 
happiness. A lot of us want to know, how do we uncover the truth of happiness, Mm. pathway to happiness? It's quite the conundrum because we can hold happiness and then five seconds later, we lose it again. And so I'm curious about your story and how you found happiness and, and just tell us a little bit about that. And, and then we'll uncover the rest as we go. So I can't tell you that story without giving you context to my beliefs around happiness, what the research says about happiness. And that's that I, I have never found happiness. I mean, happiness is a, it's a fleeting emotion, like every other emotion, which is why it shows up for 30 seconds and then passes on. It's, it's an emotional experience and every single emotional experience we have is transient. So I don't seek happiness. I think once upon a time, maybe I did. Um, Perhaps when I was less aware of the research and um, more in hope that this state of happiness exists. And yes, the state of happiness exists, but it's not enduring. It's not enduring for anyone. So instead um, I work with meaning. My what I care about in the way I live and how I show up and the work that I create and um, who I love and how I love them is meaning. Is this meaningful? Is it? Does it fit with my value system? Does it fit with how I want to say I lived when I look back on my life? And so I think meaning is something that can be enduring. Meaning is something that you can invest so much energy in because it's an ongoing evolution. Whereas if I invest all my energy in trying to feel happy and that shows up for a minute, five minutes a day, if I'm lucky, then I'm going to constantly feel like I'm in a place where what's the point? What's the point when I have to keep chasing something, you know, I'm not a fan of chasing it. I mean, I'm a big fan of goals because I think they add to our sense of accomplishment. Accomplishment is one of the ingredients for what Martin Seligman calls flourishing. Um, So I am a fan of goals, but I'm not a fan of chasing a certain emotion because I have a history of um, trauma. I have a history of feeling very intense anxiety and depression. And if I set myself up for this I'm trying to think of the word that I want for a superficial seeking of happiness. I'd end up in a spiral of constant chasing where I'd never get to land. And I need, I'm someone who needs to land. I need to be able to go, this worked or this didn't, and now I'm going to try something else. Or this feels amazing and this doesn't feel so good for me because I have boundaries around that or it's uncomfortable or whatever it is. So I think I need to land in something more solid and that would be meaning. And Mm. my arrival at meaning, my arrival at meaning is has been something I guess that is so much bigger than say my career trajectory and I'm taking my time with this because I usually get asked about how did you get to be writing books you know and that's then I get 
that's a story that I could tell with my eyes shut, you know, but it's when we talk about something bigger than that, it's a bigger answer. And so it's not as simple as, well, here's my work and here's how my work's evolved to be what it is. It's more a case, I think, that I've been in a place where I've questioned why I'm alive and where I've questioned what's the point to it all. And I think these are good questions to ask. You know, I think they're almost essential questions to ask, um, especially if you tend towards existential or philosophical thinking like I do. And I think for a time, especially if we're talking about my 20s, the meaning was what I could gather. How much money could I make? How fast could I pay off debt? Um, did I have my own home or mortgage at least? I've never actually owned a home. My The bank still owns my home. Um, what am I, do I have a partner? You know, it doesn't look right on the outside. That's what I attach my meaning to. And I think for so long, I kept on realizing that that wasn't it. There was no place to land with that because it kept changing or I kept, I kept changing the goalposts, you know, like, okay, well now you've got this, then you need that. Um, mm. And then I met my wife. So I was 33, I think. And I was dating men. I was trying to find the right man and um, he didn't show up. And I met my now wife accidentally. So I decided that I must be going to be single for the rest of my life. So I would just start ticking things off my bucket list. And so I went to Africa by myself and um, I safaried my way around Botswana and Zimbabwe and South Africa. And then I came back and I was like, okay, um, I just not skipping over that. That was life changing. And I can't wait to go back. It was the most remarkable thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, but I came back and I was like, okay, well, I might just go and learn piano then. Um, and I rang the local music school and I said, I can only attend a lesson on a Saturday morning. And they said, okay, well, we've got one teacher that teaches on Saturday morning and that's Nissa. And I spent these eight weeks having lessons on a Saturday morning and slowly and very uncomfortably because I didn't understand what was happening I accidentally fell in love with this person and um, 10 years down the track, 10 and a half years down the track, um, she's my wife. And I think what happened, the reason the beginning of our relationship is important is because that was the first time besides my grandparents where I'd felt loved unconditionally. Um, my parents love me, but I it's complex and I feel like there's a lot of conditions with that, a lot of expectation my wife is the first person that looked at me and saw all my imperfections and didn't walk away. And I think that was the first time where I was like, no, you're supposed to run at this point, right? You're supposed to see the bits of me that are really not great and you're supposed to go in the other direction. And she didn't. In fact, she moved closer. And that quite literally rocked my world. So I think I was actually in a place where I was like, holy shit, why does she love me? Like I, I spent some time going, why? There must be something wrong with her. Like, because I think 
if she sees these bits of me that are really not great and she still loves me, what's wrong with her? So I went into therapy <laughs> because I'm a big fan of therapy from both sides of the couch. But also I realized that I ran the risk of, because I didn't know how to be loved, I ran the risk of pushing away potentially the best thing that ever happened to me. And so as a result of having therapy, this is a really long answer to this question. I will wrap it up. Um, I got to the point where I was like, actually, I'm available for being loved unconditionally and I'm worthy of being loved unconditionally. Um, and I think from that foundation, my entire life changed. My entire life changed in terms of what became meaningful, what became possible. You know, when you're loved unconditionally like that, fear drops away, you know, like you no longer need to stay in the bounds of the life that you've created. These possibilities just open up. So I did things that I'd never thought I'd ever be able to do, like walk away from clinical practice and I still do things like I've never thought I'd be able to do, like fucking go on live TV um, every second week and not have a heart attack. Like there's things like that that opened up having a baby. The, the only reason I had a child was because she showed me what it was like to be loved unconditionally. And I was like, if I can love like this and be loved like this, then what's possible? another human became possible out of that. And so this isn't a journey to happiness because I'm not happy all the time. I don't want to be either really. Like that's too much work. I'm not, I'm just not that bubbly. Like I'm not that nice really. Um, I don't live in Barbie land. I, I have strong feelings about things. This is a journey to meaning. And my nan, um, she died in 2018 and just six months before she died, my pop died. <clears throat> They'd been married for 69 years. They nearly made um, their 70th anniversary, just missed it by four days. And I was sitting beside her. Um, they were in a nursing home sharing a room side by side. And I arrived the day after pop died and I had to walk past his empty room to get to hers. And um, she couldn't see very well. And she looked up when I stood at the door and I spoke so she could hear me. And, um, she said, come here, darling. And she was eating Vegemite toast and she was sitting at the window looking out and I just held her hand. And my nan is, my nan was raised on a farm by her aunt. Um, she is a child of the depression. She is so stoic and so optimistic. Like she's, she was made of fiber that I'm not made of. She's just so strong. I've probably only ever seen her cry once or twice in my life. And she was crying and she was playing with the ring on my finger. She always played with my fingers and she was twisting the ring on my finger. And we were just talking about pop and talking about his death. And she stopped talking for a moment. And then she said to me, you know, darling, in the end, all that matters is who you love and how you love them. And my pop was a difficult man to love in many ways. And I will never, ever forget those words because it was just the quintessential 
definition of how do you make a life worth living? How do you make a point? Because there is no point, right? The point is what we make it to be. And so I've taken that ever since with me and thought on a daily basis, you know, when shit shows up, that's just meaningless really in the big scheme of things. Like you get in the car and the fuel tank's empty and you've got to, you didn't plan for the 10 minutes to go and get fuel and all the first world problems, you know, that show up. I try to ground myself in at the end of the day, what matters? So it's not happiness for me and it it used to be, but it never will be again. It's meaning. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that story because I could feel the emotion and actually feeling quite teary just hearing you share that. I can feel like I was there in the room. So thank yeah. you for taking us on that journey. And I think you're right. I think a lot of us talk about happiness and and it being an emotion, but it feels like it's so much bigger than just that. And mm. I think when you say the word love, meaning and love, I also think of the word connection. Mm. That's part of that word for yeah. me. And, and I guess I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit about the connection piece around that because you've tapped on 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 meaning yeah. and and love. And now let's let's take it even further. And how if we need an example, we could we could even say there's many of us walking through this life and some of us don't have that special someone and we don't necessarily yeah. feel that unconditional love yet. Yeah. Um, we might be working on meaning in other ways. But what about how else can we really feel that connection piece um, rather than using the word happiness, I guess? Yeah, I think connection is a really important word because it also speaks to the different ways that we love from afar as well. Because I think that I'd consider even the work that I create, you know, someone might go into a bookstore. Oh, I'm sure many people, thousands of people have gone into a bookstore and bought a book and I don't know who they are. And I will never hear from them. And I will never know that they've read the book other than from some random sales figure that I get sent from my publisher. What that is, though, is in that book that I've written, whichever book it is, my love has gone into that. My Every word that I write is an attempt to connect. Every word that I speak is an attempt to connect beyond the microphone or beyond the page. And so I think when we're in a place where we're putting our work into the world, whether that be just you going ahead and doing whatever job you do, whatever, whatever you do on a daily basis, you could be a stay at home mum. You could be someone that, I don't know, you're a dog walker. Um, what's behind everything that we do at a DNA level is our in real life need to connect and I think that the way we go about that matters. But I think sometimes we can be in a place where social media kind of glorifies that you need to have this perfect body and this amazing, I don't know, influencer-like job in order for it to be at the level that it needs to be. But I don't actually believe that. I think the everyday normal job, the the new mum that is so sick of the drudgery of dealing with a baby or a toddler, like it all counts because you keep showing up and you keep showing up with a 
piece of yourself to offer whoever is in front of you, whether that be someone that you share DNA with or whether that be someone that you're reaching in your networks um, that you know of or not. And I think despite the fact that I told the story about Nissa, I still think we're on individual journeys to find our own sense of meaning. It just happened to be that my experience with her was transformative. I could also say that I've been loved by best friends in a way. I have two best friends who have loved me for so long and across so many different iterations of me that it's done the same thing. I think as human beings, when you have people near you, um, people who see you, people who understand you and people who make space for you to be who you truly are, it really matters. I don't think that needs to be in a partnership. And I don't think you necessarily need to have a personal brand like I do and have an audience, you know, where you're actually putting work out. I think we can't underestimate the difference that you make when you're nice to the bus driver in the morning, you know, when you're the one that says thank you out of 30 people that don't. Um, But I also think it's important to speak to uh, the fact that we're in a loneliness epidemic at the moment. Um, And it's one thing to say, you know, people out there may not have a special someone. That's absolutely true, but please have someone. And if you don't, we need to rectify that because it's very, it's dangerous for mental health. Totally agree. Excuse me. I I think well, something I'd love to know is even if we have those people, Mm. sometimes I know there was a point in my life where I felt like I had, you know, I was popular and I had lots of people around me and everything was roses on the outside, but there was something stopping me being able to actually connect Yes. And and I just wonder if you could speak about that because I know there's a lot of women and mothers at the moment that are just feeling buried by by jobs and chores and all this stuff and and the the tiredness and the stress and the I can't I can't ah you know I can't connect you know I just wonder if there's something what what would you say to the mums out there that you know want to connect better and and even you could even elaborate and take that further to say how do we find that meaning again beyond children? And that's probably a part A and part B question. But <laughs> mm. I think we need to start with the fact that we live in a cultural time of speed and overwhelm. And uh, I sometimes have fantasies about living in the middle of Alaska, like when no one could get to me. <laughs> I couldn't. Do you I like couldn't. the cold? <laughs> I couldn't. Well, my wife doesn't. So um, I could do it. She couldn't. And I guess if I want to stay married, then... Um, I probably need to compromise. Apparently relationships work best with compromise, which is super disappointing. Um, (laughs) So I'm not going to be a hermit in Alaska anytime soon, but we've got this speed, right? This cultural speed and this uh, ongoing online connection, which can sometimes be so taxing on our personal resources that you feel like you've got nothing left over for the relationships that you really do want to connect in with. For those particularly mums, if you want to reconnect or connect more, I first want you to start by connecting with yourself because it's our relationship with ourselves that grounds us in every other relationship and also grounds us in how we operate and move through the world. And I think that's where we need to start. If I hadn't have done the work on myself, I couldn't have been who I want to be in my relationship. And that is continuously evolving. I don't think the work stops. 
But I also think that it's not necessarily fair to sit with mums and say, okay, so you want to connect more. Here's a set of three steps that I want you to go and do when you're already looking at your to-do list and you might have that wave of anxiety that makes you feel nauseated because it's just too much already. So instead I want, I actually want to give you counterintuitive advice, which is do less, like take the pressure off having to connect in so many different ways and instead choose one or two ways. Um, just makes me think I was pregnant, being pregnant once, had a baby, was lucky enough to have a live baby out of that, um, who's now five. And the process of fertility treatment and pregnancy itself was the most traumatic physical experience I've ever been through in my life. It was horrendous. I did not like it. I did not glow at no point. Was it okay? Um, and except for the day when I got cut open and he came out, that was great. Excellent. Um, would have even done it without anesthetic, bring it on, like just get him out because it was so bad. But during that time, I made a decision that the only people that I would listen to was my obstetrician and myself. That's it. Mm. To survive, to stay alive during that period when it was so horrendous and my hormones were so all over the place the, I reduced the connection to all that matters is what she says and what I want. That's it. Not even my wife. It's my body. I'm managing where I need to be. And I think in, especially in the new stages of motherhood, we forget that seasons change and they change quite quickly. But if you don't stop in the season that you're in and define the boundaries around you in a way that respects the personal resources that you have available, then you can put pressure on yourself to have to be all the things to everyone and feel like you're drowning, mm -hmm. which is, I think, what so many of us feel on a daily basis as it is anyway. There's just too much to do. There's too many people that want something from you. And you can end up in a state of constant people pleasing and therefore end up burnt out, or you can end up emotionally shut down and hermishing yourself away, which is not helpful either. So start by connecting with yourself first. What do you actually need? Like, what do you need? Do you need less? Do you need less people to be connecting with? And I mean, who's sending you text messages that you're feeling obligated to text back? Do you need to set boundaries around um, how you manage those relationships? You know, there's that, I've seen it on Instagram, the almost a template saying, what's the, where's the text reply, the auto reply that I can just send saying, I'm sorry, I haven't texted you back for three weeks. I love you so much. And I really want to um, be with you and hear about you, but I just have nothing left for that right now, you know? And I, mm -hmm. I think we actually have to do this on a daily basis in our lives anyway, to be able to be discerning about where our energy goes, where our time goes, where our attention and our care goes, so that we're in a place where we can not be, not be adding to our plate like the rest of the world does. So the mm -hmm. connection that I would be talking about for mums is, don't let me tell you what else you have to do. I need you to define that for yourself. I need you to give yourself permission to take things off your plate if that's what you need or to redefine for this particular season who matters. Because sometimes when we're talking about, you know, circles of intimacy, the people that orbit around us, 
um, that are close to us. And then we kind of go from our inner circle to family, to friends, and then to acquaintances and strangers. Just Are there people that need to be moved out on the circles of intimacy a little bit so that you can just relieve the pressure a bit? I'm always very hesitant to add more, especially to mums, because I think they're often in a place where we're asking more of mums than we ever have before. And it's just too much. Mm, I totally agree. I'm a mum myself of a, of a near five-year-old, so not, not yeah. far away from yours. Yeah. Um, but I just wonder, I mean, what goes through my head and I'm, I'm overcoming the people pleasing art of myself. I'm, I'm slowly getting there. I haven't, haven't completely resolved that, but um, if I'm honest, <laughs> But um, in terms of that boundary setting, and I have been listening to your um, your books and, and your audible pieces and, you. and trying to listen to all of that, um, and I will have links for that after the episode as well in the comments. But um, I, I'm just curious about that because, I mean, I only have one kid, but I know some mums with like four or five kids, which is like yep. mind-blowing to me. How do you prioritize yourself when you know you've got that many kids and yeah. and you've got some things? It's some. I feel like it's not a choice sometimes. I feel like you know not only it might be five kids or it could be one kid, but you've also got some emergency things going on in your life that you can't just go hold on. You yeah. know, I'm going to sit in the bath and and soak. You know, and think yeah. about myself. You know, yeah. So how do you set the boundaries in a healthy way that kind of allows you to still know, remain aware and, and put yourself first without, without going, you know, talk to the hand because it's not really yeah. realistic, is it? Yeah. Mm. I think the first thing that we need to look at is what we think of when we think of prioritizing ourselves. And it is like really habitual to think of long, slow baths in silence um, or going off for a personal training session and or, you know, like going on a shopping day. I mean, who does that? Like it's a privilege to do all those things. It's a resource privilege. You either have money or you have time or you have availability of all those things at your fingertips. And there's not many people that have the capacity to enjoy those things. So I don't necessarily think it's about carving out time like that. I think sometimes we can be prioritizing ourselves in far more subtle ways that can be done as we go about living our lives. So you don't have to find anything else. You don't have to find time. You don't need to find money. You don't need to find um, energy within yourself to do the things that could make a big difference for you. It can be as simple as saying no to a demand so that you can prioritize your future self especially as we're we're recording this in October we're going to approach another silly season um where everyone every man and his dog has an invite for you I'm already astounded at the number of birthday invites like I didn't know that having a kid would mean I have to bloody go to a kid's birthday every weekend um (laughs) exhausting but also I only have one child as well and so I prioritize his social well-being despite being an introvert and the fact that I don't really want to see people on the weekend um one of the things that we sometimes define for ourselves though is that self-care needs to look a certain way and it doesn't it doesn't 
I mean, it's it would be lovely if you could go and have a bath every now and again, if that's your thing. It might not be your thing though. Your thing might be listening to an audio book while you're cleaning and you just need to remember to put your buds in and actually do that rather than just do the cleaning. It. What I'm saying though is that one of the easiest things for you to think about doing is to realize that you don't have to be on call for everyone else outside your inner circle. I have a friend with six children and also blows my mind. Um, But people with that many kids also get used to having that many kids. You know, it's, there's a resilience factor that's built into that. But I think the thing that we need to respect is every person's, capacity to be able to say this is what I have available today and therefore that's going to change and so I have the capacity to say yes or no with intention based on the personal resources that I have to give out of my giving tanks so I don't necessarily think that we need to add anything here I don't think we need to encourage people to go and find activities or pay for activities that um have to then have a place in their weekly schedule. Sure, if you want to do that, I'm I'm great, go ahead. I'm just saying if you're already overwhelmed at the outset, the most unhelpful thing I can do is say, go and get a hobby or make time for self-care, even for just an hour a week, it can just seem too much. Instead, I want to give you give you permission to lead with intention. And by that, I mean on a daily basis, I want you to stop and go, did I sleep well last night? Have I had breakfast this morning? Am I is am I nourished? And therefore, what do I have available for this day? Do I have available availability for something outside the kids? Yes? Okay, great. Say that yes with intention or um give yourself permission to disappoint yourself or disappoint someone else and say no for right now in the service of the health of your future self. Um, because one of the things we often do is say yes today, thinking that's a that's a next month me problem. But your next month you is really going to regret the fact that you said yes today because you didn't think about the resources that you would have available. Hmm. Absolutely. Well said. <laughs> I feel like doing a little applause over here. <laughs> <laughs> So I think um, I'd really love to tap into, um, you know, why you are where you are right now in terms of what is your biggest passion at the moment? And I know you've released a new book. I don't know if that's your latest passion. I'm not preempting. I'm I'm assuming it might have something to do with that, but it may not. Feel free to talk to us and tell us what is your big passion and and why? Why has that come up for you now? What's the, what's, why is it um, relevant for you? Um. My passion is my dog right now. Tell us about your dog. Yeah, it's my passion is not my latest book. My latest book's called Difficult People. It was out on the 30th of May this year. Absolutely not my passion. Um, my work is my passion, but that book exists in answer to people who read Setting Boundaries that I wrote that came out in 2021. And they said, my boundaries really work. I'm a big fan of boundaries. Um, because they're the language of self-worth. But I had so many people say, I'm good with them. I know what they are and I can communicate them, but they're just not working with this one person. I was like, ah, there's a whole book in that. So that's how difficult difficult people came about. 
But right now, today, we're three and a half weeks on from putting uh, my little girl Iris Setter down, my 11-year-old Iris Setter. I re rescued two Irish setters um, from the RSPCA two years ago um, on the back of being severely traumatised. They were neglected and left in a house by themselves for four months. Um, both of them have health conditions and neither of them were medicated. The little girl nearly died. She was bald when she was found and nearly blind. And Jetfire, who I have still have today, was completely psychologically broken. And... Over the last two years, I have loved them back to health and that I've always been psychotically passionate about Jet. Um, he's my soul dog. But the reason I'm so passionate about him today, especially, is because he is the epitome of um, trauma not defining you. I was quite panicked when age caught up with Jackie and we needed to make the decision to put her down. He'd never lived his life without her. And I was frightened that I would have to say an early goodbye to him as well. He's a year younger. He turns 10 in November. And I was quite frightened that he would have a huge grief process, completely deteriorate, and I wouldn't put him through any suffering. Um, and he has thrived. Not only has he adapted, but he has he's shown that when you connect to the present moment, when you embrace what's surrounding you right now with a, from a place of gratitude, not that dogs can express gratitude, but I see it in his face, in his eyes, in the way he looks at me. He's just remarkable. I constantly look at him and go, look at not only your recovery, but the fact that if anyone saw us on the street, they would never know what you've been through. And here you are shining, being your fullest self. And as a trauma survivor myself, I look at him and I'm constantly going, look at you. I'm so proud of you. You know, he was so reactive. He's he was so anxious. He was an absolute mess when I got him. I couldn't even walk him. He would hypersalivate and be like he'd have the dog equivalent of a panic attack. And I see the credit that I give him on a daily basis and I have to stop and go, but I'm doing exactly the same thing. Hmm. I'm being wow. the fullest expression of myself despite the trauma that I've been through. And then this is a long story to get back to how this informs what I do every day. Every single time I'm in a conversation like this or I'm writing a book or I'm producing whatever other content I produce to put out to the world, it's this that informs it, that life is so abrasive and it can be so harmful and it can leave us with scars that are irreparable in some ways. And yet there's life after those scars that we have the possibility to create. And so I'm constantly reminding myself to, to not just give Jetfire credit. I mean, he deserves it. He deserves every ounce of it. But so do I. And so do our listeners. And so do you. And so does everyone that wakes up and goes, what is today's meaning about? And for me, I just see it in him. It brings me back to this place where 
because I'm not, I don't have a very good memory for present moment stuff. I'm a future thinker. I'm, I'm driven by anxiety. It's managed, but it's still there. I'm an overthinker. I can ruminate. I can be drawn out of the present very easily. And so I think my passion is via experiences like that. You randomly rescue a dog and he changes your entire perspective on the world that you can come back to the here and now and go, here's a tiny little piece of meaning that makes today okay. Love that. That's beautiful. And I have to agree, I don't have an animal at the moment, uh, a pet, but I used to. And there's something every day when I go walking on the beach and I see the dogs on the beach, I always admire their childlike joy, you know, that they just exude happiness, you know, and joy and and fun. And I always think, wow, like how do they do that so beautifully, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and obviously Jetfire is, is a reflection of you and everything you're going through as well and helping you see what you're going through. It's amazing. So beautiful. Dogs are, I think animals in general are amazing like that. But actually that makes me think of when you asked earlier, what about people who don't have that special person? I know having a pet is a privilege um, because they can be incredibly expensive at times. But I also think the connection is priceless. You know, sometimes the connection from animals even trumps that when we don't have safe humans around us, you know. Mm. And and I'm just wondering, you you said you know that you've you have your anxiety and you get you know pulled into the future and um and that's so nice to hear that even psychologists have this happen you know yeah. because it's it's especially as 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 hardworking um you know moving quickly mothers you know we're constantly stuck in our heads and and we often have tools that we're told that we can do but I, but I'm curious then you know what is it that you do. Do you have something that I know you don't want to tell us that we should follow X, Y, and Z mm. because you don't want to give us more work, which I appreciate so much. Yeah. But I'm wondering, is there a little secret or a little, um, you know, hot tip that you could say, try this. This is what I do. Mm. For the days when I'm feeling anxious, do you mean? Yeah. Like when you get a bit stuck in your forward thinking mind, like thinking yeah. about the future. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that I do is, uh, I don't trust my mind. So my mind has a a very habitual way of tangling thoughts up to the point where I can't see the forest between uh, for the trees. It's like a tangled ball of yarn. And so the simplest thing that I do is I write a list. I use a, I actually don't physically write. I use a um, free program called Asana. It's a, like a fancy to-do list program. And I will literally, I've got the app on my phone as well. If my thoughts are getting too much, I will quite literally just sit there, grab my phone and type out in list form what the things are that are running around my head that I need to do. And the act of getting them out of my head and down where I know that I won't forget them because they're there. Um, and B, I can then decide, well, what is a, what can, what am I available to do today versus what needs to be then planned out for the future? Mm. It's just the easiest thing that I can think of, assuming it works for you, to be able to not allow yourself to drown in those thought processes. It doesn't, that doesn't necessarily work for 
uh, if I'm worrying about money, we're in a cost of living crisis. I'm not, I'm no different to anyone else. Um, and there are times where I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like things are really, really tight and that can spiral because I can't just write that down. Like I just can't, I can't go well, because I get paid in, uh, I'm essentially a consultant or a freelancer. So I get drops of income at various times that are unpredictable. I don't always know how much they'll be and I don't always know exactly when they'll come. So in those times, I'm not just going to write down, I need more money. But what I will do um, for those types of thoughts where there's not a quick answer is I have people that I can go to, um, especially friends in business, that get it, that get what it's like to be a creative like me and therefore have random income. Um, and I'll speak it aloud. So I'll simply just send a quick message to a friend and say, it's one of those days my head's like being mean and uh, the anxiety is quite loud today. And I'll simply just get a message back. I have one who often says, I'll be your mum when you need me to be your mum. And she'll write back and she'll go, do you know how great you're doing? Do you know that I see you do this and I see you do that. And I saw you at that presentation the other day and I saw the impact you had on those people in the room. And the way you do that is just so remarkable. You know, just this piece of encouragement that I otherwise wouldn't have. I don't go to her and go, can you please encourage me? But that's what I get back. I think that's amazing. It really is yeah. because sometimes that's enough for me to go, look, even if I don't get paid tomorrow, I know that I'm at least doing the best that I can. So two things, write it down if you can. If it's just a list of things that you need to remember, write them down. And then secondly, if it's something that can't be solved today, go to your support crew. Mm -hmm. uh, just make sure that you choose um, people in your support crew that actually get it. Because if you go to people it's especially applicable for anyone that's listening that is an entrepreneur themselves or in business in some way, go to another business person. Don't go to someone who's employed because they'll just look at you like you've grown a second hand. Like, don't you just get paid next week? Isn't it that easy? No, it's not. <laughs> I like that. Make sure you find someone with the same values. Very, very yes. important. Yes. Um, and now I have a question that we have a happiness club. It's called the Women's Happiness Movement where we have women that just kind of share and talk almost like a network of women. It can be about anything. And there yep. was, I actually asked them in advance, is there a question that they would like to ask you? Yep. And there was a bit of a theme. And so I'd love to relay that if possible. Sure. Um, the question was if, and I'm, I'm kind of um, summing it up, if someone has lost something important to them, mm. it could be, it could be a dog. It could be a person. Mm -hmm. It could be a job or a career that they've worked their whole life for. Yeah. And they've lost that important thing. And how do they find that meaning and connection and happiness again? Uh, again, when that happens, um, we're not going to go straight to finding meaning and happiness again. We're going to grieve first. So the most important step that you can do is allow yourself to feel shit about it the I know that it there's brains don't like uncertainty the the most destabilizing we can do for brains is to take away what they know um, and not give them an answer for what the future will look like brains hate that so there can be a real drive for 
okay, how do I create the new normal or how do I create the next chapter? What's that going to look like? But if you jump forward to that without actually processing your grief for whatever it is that's been lost, whether it's been an opportunity or a relationship or a dog or someone that you've loved, a death, whatever it is, um, then you'll find that your creation of whatever the next chapter is going to be, it will be in a place where it's not coming from the authentic you because the authentic you needs to feel first. You need to feel into the loss. You need to feel into the grief and honor that before you move forward. Now, let's say you know that and you've been in the grief for quite some time and you're very familiar with it, thanks very much, um, and you'd like to move forward, the next thing to know is that sometimes we need to create an empty space before we, we create what will fill it. And this was said to me by a colleague of mine when I was talking to him in 2015, on the 15th of January, 2015, and I remember that because he told me if I didn't stop doing clinical work, then my body would make the decision for me. And two weeks later, my 10-year practice of um, thousands of clients and so many referrals was closed. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I had no idea whether or not I could even ever see a patient again. He said to me, and I did not like it because I don't, I'm so impatient and I'm so, I have such a need for structure and routine and knowing. He said, sometimes we need to create an empty space before we create what will fill it. So my next piece of advice after, or not even after, I think the grieving happens at the same time, is that sometimes you need to let yourself sit in um, the not knowing to allow something to grow from that. It's almost like allowing yourself to be bored. You know, as kids, we got so good at being bored mm -hmm. and we got so good at being able to create out of boredom that as adults, when we're consciously connected, sorry, when we're, when we're constantly connected, especially online, sometimes we lose the capacity to just sit in the ability to generate thoughts and to think about what it is that would be meaningful to us. Um, and sometimes you need to consider options that don't work as well. Sometimes you need to try a lot of things on before you find the next thing. And one of the thing I, one of the things I think is super important in that process is to be able to allow yourself to try on things that feel uncomfortable, even if you don't think they'll feel uncomfortable. Um, when I first left clinical practice, I designed a program called Happy Habits, which was actually designed on positive psychology techniques. I'd come from treating trauma, working with police and emergency services and the military. And I was like, I just don't want to talk about problems for a while. I want to talk about thriving and fl flourishing. So I did all this stuff basically on happiness, but on the meaning behind happiness. And then I got to a point where I was like, nah, this isn't it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I actually spent a stack of money on websites and all this stuff, you know, to set it up. I built a huge Instagram page, bigger than my one under my personal brand now. It had like 250,000 followers, all this stuff. And I just woke up one day and went, nah, this isn't it. I don't wow. feel good. Wow. And so I think sometimes it is also knowing that your first iteration of finding meaning back again might not look the way it's eventually going to look. And when we give ourselves permission for it to evolve like that, 
It means that we can look for possibilities rather than just have our thinking narrowed towards I must find the thing. Mm, the panic of quick, find me the next thing. And so true yeah. about kids being, uh, you know, we, we used to get, we used to be allowed to be bored and now it's yeah. like quick, pick up social media because I'm yes. bored. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny. I, I had written down a quote here on my little post-it note. Um, one of your quotes that you had said about comfort, which I just loved. And it just, it was great. Good segue from what you just said. The walls of your comfort zone are not only transparent, they are actually imaginary. You can cross through them at any time. You just have to take the leap. Mm -hmm. And that is one that I have stuck on my wall because how many times did we get uncomfortable? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I saw a book, I was in the airport the other day and I saw a book uh, I'm not sure who it's, who it's written by, but it's out now. It's a new release called Death by Comfort. Wow. And I, it, yes, that was my response. I was like, hey, what a title. But also how zeitgeisty, because I think we are so very much in a place where we are killing ourselves with comfort. And that includes psychological comfort because we stay so stuck in places of stagnation because we're so scared of what's on the other side that we don't explore. And so I think sometimes loss is the most beautiful place for future exploration because it allows you to see the world in a different way. I'm not saying that we ever welcome loss, especially when it's painful. Um, But what I'm talking about is when you can frame it in the terms of possibilities, then we start choosing discomfort in the service of growth. Wow. Amazing. I'm like... Mind blown. <laughs> Thank you. I am aware of the time and I don't want to keep you too long. I, I, we've done our hour and um, I just wanted to thank you again. Um, before I go into my thank you, is there anything you want to add? Um, I think we've covered it all, but if I if I was to add anything, it would be that sometimes we don't pursue meaning that would be important to us or consistent with our values because we're scared of what other people would say and how other people would judge us. And I think perhaps one of the most important things that you can ever do is decide that the only person who really matters in the big scheme of things is your 80-year-old self. So if you can look at her or him or them and have a conversation with them and say, what do you think about going in this direction? And they're nodding, then go and do that. That's what matters. So true and so powerful. Thank you so much, Beck. You have been such a source of wisdom and strength. Um, I literally can feel your love and kindness. So thank you so much. I wish I could reach through the screen and just give you a cuddle. <laughs> uh, I'm a big hugger. I know you said you're an introvert, so I'll try not to scare you. but. <laughs> Um, but thank you, so thank you again and thank you for sharing with us. Um, I'll drop all your uh, links in the in the comments. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Wow. Wasn't Beck amazing? So here's the takeaways. Happiness is a transient emotion. So happiness, like any other emotion, is, is transient and, and it can be fleeting. It comes and it goes in moments. It's not something to be constantly pursued or chased. Takeaway two. Place emphasis on meaning and unconditional love. Instead of seeking happiness 
find meaning in your life through your values, your relationships, and perhaps creative pursuits. And don't forget unconditional love. Three, embrace grief and allow yourself to feel. When things are uncomfortable we, or, or if we face significant loss, whether it's a relationship, a job, or a beloved pet, it's crucial to allow ourselves to grieve. This process is essential for really honoring the emotion and ensuring that we're not just sweeping stuff under the rug for another time. Four, create space for the unknown. Sometimes it's necessary to sit with that feeling of uncertainty and, and not to just push and rush forward just to fill the gaps. Boredom is, is okay. It's welcomed. Allow spaciousness and, and, and it can lead to new opportunities and perspectives that may not have emerged otherwise. So thank you so much for listening. Um, that was our first episode. Wow, straight in the deep end. Thank you so much for jumping straight on in there with me and not being worried about getting your feet wet. So this is like literally there's no way I could have done any of this if it wasn't for you. So thank you so much. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and please review because it will tap the algorithm on the shoulder and say, hello, here we are, and it will help other women find us and those women might really need these messages. So please do write a review and don't forget to share the link. Share the link from this episode with even just one person, one woman, you might bring a smile to her face. And as my daughter says, sharing is caring. So have a great weekend and remember to let your heart shine. Lots of love.